This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experience that you don't get from a book. Welcome, it's Sharon and Nisha. This is our episode on what good decision making looks like as a board member. Morning, Sharon. Good morning, Nisha. How are you? Very well, thank you. And excited to get into it with our guests. Very much so. Good morning, Tashira. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Nisha. Thank you very much, Grace, hey. for having me. No, thank you very much for you know taking the time out to come on our podcast today. We know that you get asked to go on loads of podcasts and various speaking engagements. So we're really honoured and we know that all of our listeners and ourselves will get a lot of value from this conversation. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce um, Shira to our listeners. Shira Mansaray has over 15 years worth of experience working in the humanitarian field with organisations such as the United Nations and the Human Rights and Economic Affairs Department at the Council of Europe Strasbourg. Shira is a trustee and non-exec director at Amnesty International UK and she's passionate about advocating for mental health as a fundamental human right. She has a master's degree in development technology and innovation policy from UCL and she's also a PhD scholar at UCL conducting academic research on healthcare policies. She was also the CEO and founding trustee of the international charity I Am Somebody's Child Soldier, which provides mental health support to former victims of war in Uganda. Shira, wow. (laughs) (laughs) What an incredible, uh, you know, amount of experience you have. It's just uh, mind-blowing, really. Thank you so much, Sharon. Every time I hear my Bio read out. Um, I, I am overwhelmed with sort of joy and gratitude, but also determined to continue paving the way for justice and impact. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. So I'm going to hand over to Nisha. Shira, it's amazing to have you on and we're hoping to learn so much from you and your experience over the next few minutes. But before we get started, tell us something that we wouldn't find on your LinkedIn profile or online presence. Thank you, Nisha. So um, I play the guitar. I've always loved playing the guitar. And recently, I think last year, September, I decided to take jazz guitar lessons because I wanted to upscale and be able to play jazz on the guitar. So I think you didn't necessarily find that on my LinkedIn profile. But yes, I do love playing the guitar. That's amazing. How are you finding time to squeeze that into? <laughs> yes, I think it's it's important to find time to do the things that give you joy, as well as doing all the other things that I do. I think I need to be very careful that I, I find time for myself and doing the things that I enjoy. Absolutely. It regenerates you. Yes. And I love that. I love that in amongst all of the other things, you still find time for things like that because it's important, isn't it, for our um, our mental health? Yes, definitely. And I'm doing a PhD in mental health and architecture. So 
for me, I'm a keen advocate for well-being, um, mental health, personal responsibility in terms of how you protect your mental health and well-being. Um, but also, I think for me, it's important to emphasise that much as I sit on the board of Amnesty International and I hold several responsibilities, I I do advocate for mental being and balancing your commitments uh, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So, Shira, we're going to jump straight into our first question, because we're keen to know as a board member, if there's a step by step kind of decision making process that's utilised. Because I think, um, you know, your experience and explaining that uh, to our listeners can really help us to take away some tips and techniques that we can also employ into our decision making process. So please share. Yes, thank you. I think for me, it's I, I, I take a five step process and I know there's various ways that decisions are made, especially as a board member. But my process follows what I've seen as an effective way of making decisions based on my experience and skills. So I always start off by identifying the decision that I I need to make and whether or not that decision has to be made in collaboration with others or as um, a CEO or a board member if that decision relies solely on myself. So I think the first important thing is to identify whatever decision it is that you need to make. And then after that, step two is gathering the information or asking your colleagues and your staff Um, or your senior management team to provide you with enough information so that you can make this decision and it can be grounded on evidence and data and also real life case studies if possible because you know I'm a firm believer in if you're going to make a really robust decision that you can then you know scrutinize afterwards you have to be able to rely on the information and you have to be able to say where you source that information so that's step two in terms of gathering their information. Step three for me is analysing the various options that are involved or that you can look at when you're deciding what steps you want to take after you've um, looked at the evidence. Because I think sometimes we fall into an analyst paralysis situation where you have so much information and you want to make a good decision, but it's important to look at maybe two or three different alternatives and options that you can take when you're considering the best decision. And then step four would be to actually make the decision and to to be firm and decisive because, you know, at the end of the day, you've got the information, you've looked at the various options, you've analysed them and you've scrutinised them based on the different scenarios and options. So then it's very important to actually follow through and make the decision. And I know sometimes as leaders, we we get stuck between that, you know, data gathering step and the actually making the decision because of whatever fears or risks that are involved. Um, So step four is making the decision. And then finally, step five for me, which I found very, very important, is reflecting on that decision and going back to actually look to see, was that the right decision? And after you've tested it and you've seen the impact of that decision, reflect and see, would I have made this decision in the next time that I am presented with this information? Or are there any lessons for me that I have come... um, across because of having made this decision and that's how you build a culture of being you know a reflexive practitioner but also somebody who is open to learning and open to making those decisions that perhaps in the heat of the moment you made them with the good intentions but on reflection you realize that there was a better decision and in the next instance you would be making that decision more wiser and better informed so yeah I hope that was clear (laughs) 
very clear. And um, I really love um, your step five where you said you reflect on the decision made um, because in the kind of environment that Nisha and I operate in, we employ lessons learned and we go back and analyze and look at things. And, and I think it is an important step, isn't it? Because you're right, in that moment, you may make X decision, but then would you make it again based on the outcome? So I think um, yeah, that's a really important point that you've drawn out there. So thank you for that. Thank you. I've got a leading on from that, uh, Sure, I've got another question. So you're, you're, you're quite rightly saying that there has to be a balanced approach. However, the Amnesty International, in terms of um, the activism, um, the, the um, activism for human rights, as well as that I am somebody's child soldier, they're both um, amazing movements and charities that you are part of, but they also look at quite harrowing events and, and are sprung from that. So how much influence does emotion and intuition also play into that decision-making process? Because we know that there's an incredible passion that drives you, but how do you keep those two in balance? Yes, brilliant question. And I think it's one that we grapple with as board members, but also as senior executives, because we do come with our own emotions and we do come with our own biases. Um, and, you know, especially for me, I'm a, a, a woman, black, and I sit in spaces that are not necessarily representative of myself. So I do come to these boardrooms and these spaces with my own lived experience. But I think it's important for me to identify when my lived experience are about to make that decision and to challenge myself so that I'm making that decision based on facts and data. Because at the end of the day, I am going to be answerable based on how I made that decision. And I need to be able to rely on the evidence that backs that up. But also, I think as an academic, I have been trained to look at literature and to analyse information based on an objective perspective. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's important to notice when your emotions are the ones that are going to make that decision and pause and see what other evidence is there. Not so that that evidence confirms your decision, but more to challenge and to critique your own decision making process. Um, so that's sort of the first half of the answer. And then the second half of the answer is to understand what decisions are best made using your own intuition and lived experience because that's what's missing in certain boardrooms and in certain decision-making process, is that we have people making decisions, but they don't necessarily have the lived experience of the very people they're making decisions on, especially, you know, working in the charity sector. It's about challenging that norm of coming in and saving or fixing or providing solutions that are grounded in Western methodologies, whereas we need to be thinking about the local context and what those beneficiaries actually have to say about that decision-making or about that project that you're looking to deliver. So I think, you know, that, and that's where the fine line and the good judgment comes in and the experience, mm. because for me, having spent almost 15 years in the charity sector and being an advocate for, for change and local interventions, I've come to appreciate the voices of the very people that we're looking to, to empower who are the beneficiaries and how you bring those voices into the decision-making process through, you know, robust methodologies like co-production, 
um, participatory approach, evidence-led approaches, all of these are really important because we need to move away from this this way of making decisions that's just bottom down and doesn't necessarily include the people right at the um sorry making decisions that are top heavy and doesn't necessarily include people who are on the on the ground actually going to be impacted by the decision i love that and and every step there you have acknowledged that yes you do need logic to a certain extent in that decision making but like your co-production aspect, your aspect of involving. When you say beneficiaries for our audience, Shira, you mean those that are going to receive yeah. help from um, Amnesty, from other movements that you've started up, especially your charity. And so I, I, I truly respect the fact that you're taking, um, you, you, you have the knowledge that others are going to be impacted directly from the decisions that are being made. And so you're co-producing and you're getting yourself to that point that you are making decisions with them yes yes it's, it's very important yeah and it's quite, thank you for that sorry I was just going to say it's quite um inspiring as well to see that mm. change that you're bringing because sometimes Nisha and I sit in spaces and we think there aren't necessarily the right people to be making those decisions on behalf of yeah. somebody else so it's actually really refreshing to see that you're able to occupy these spaces with all of your knowledge and lived experience and bring change, which is um, what it's about. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, just touching on the lived experience part, there are quite a few ways that you can bring lived experience into decision making, but it's sometimes a culture within that boardroom or that senior management team or even that very environment that you're working in that doesn't know how to bring lived experience in in a way that is robust and critical and can stand up to scrutiny because we we are regulated so as a charity either I am somebody's child soldier or Amnesty International we're regulated by mm -hmm. the charity commission so whatever decisions we're making need to involve a risk analysis it needs to involve the the key matrix so how you justify bringing in lived experience is very important, but also how you evidence how that lived experience played a role in your decision making is very important. And that's the voice of a, as you say, the, the person that you're going to impact, the person on the ground that is going to receive that output of the decision from the charity, whether it's funding, whether it's whatever it is that the charity is providing. And I think we can be we can underestimate how powerful charities can actually be yeah. in this context. How can you, Shira, um, as a board member, um, influence fellow board members to bring in that lived experience so that you're, you're kind of uh, taking into account the, tr the true ecosystem and that true environment that exists? Because context here is key to everything. Yes. For me, it's understanding how you bring in individuals who can tell a story. So I believe very passionately about storytelling and the power of telling a story and a, the power of bringing in somebody's experiences, but from a context perspective. So in certain board meetings, whether it's the charity I'm Somebody's Child Soldier or Amnesty International, 
it's really important that we're able to bring in people who are either our beneficiaries or they have expertise in this area and they can tell us the story about how our projects are making a difference or how our campaigns have made a real life difference to their to their living circumstances so that's sort of the first important thing the storytelling and bringing somebody in to speak to the board and to understand that this person is sharing their story and their lived experience and we can then either empathize with that or have a better understanding of what's happening on the ground and ultimately we can't then neglect that this person is speaking for the voices and the individuals that couldn't make it to the boardroom for whatever reason or those that are based in a rural community that has no access to the internet or can't travel all the way into maybe the UK to sit on that um, session so I think storytelling but also acknowledging that these people are coming in to give us their lived experience and we must respect it and it should filter into our decision making in one way or the other and then acknowledging them for their their bravery in sharing their stories because one of the challenges I have seen is that people with the most sort of horrific and nerve-wrenching stories are sometimes frightened to share them because of the repercussions and because of the stigma that's associated to sharing their stories. So we have to acknowledge and give thanks to those who are brave enough to come into this space and share their lived experience and make sure that we we do something with that story. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to act based on what their recommendations are, but we have to acknowledge that their their story and their lived experience has a bearing um, on our decision-making and our, our way of governing as board members. Thanks for sharing that, Shira. You're welcome. So, Shira, in uh, at the outset, so we explain that you are indeed an, an academic, you are a scholar, and you have dedicated two years plus of your life to producing some amazing research. And you've recently published a paper on purpose-driven business and the impact economy. And you have coded, you have interviewed... <laughs> Uh, myself and Nisha have looked at your data visualization to help uh, policymakers better consume your research, but we would love to know a bit more about it. Please, uh, please tell us. Yes, thank you very much, Sharon. So, like you said, two years worth of researching in the midst of a pandemic um, has necessitated some very interesting conversations but also the ability for me to understand that this space is evolving quite rapidly and for those that perhaps are not as familiar with the impact economy this is a space that encourages businesses to think about the triple bottom line and you're looking at people profit and planet so when you are deciding to embark on a project or activity or even set up your business having a clear understanding of how that initiative or business is going to affect people. These are your your staff, the people in the supply chain, the consumers, the clients, you know, that whole people piece is very important. And then the second piece is planet. We're looking at how your initiatives or your activities are going to negatively impact the planet, but also understanding that there is a huge drive now for climate mitigation strategies and being aware of how your carbon footprint is uh, evolving or expanding. But ultimately, as a business, there are different matrix that can be embedded in your practices to ensure that you are reducing 
your your carbon footprint, but also you're actively promoting climate mitigation strategies. So that's the second piece of the triple bottom line. And then the third piece is profit, because businesses are set up to make a profit. And we appreciate that there are ways that you can make a profit whilst also positively impacting people and planet. So, you know, that's the the ecosystem around the impact economy. And that's what I've spent the last two years researching and pulling together different policy initiatives that advocate for the transition to sort of regulating this space and making it a space that holds its own when it comes to other ecosystems and other economies. Because if you look around, we have a few different businesses that are very passionate about people and planet, but also understanding that they're profit-making businesses. And this is contrasting with my experience as a board member of, of Amnesty International, and I am somebody's child soldier, because those are not for-profit entities that are solely focused on making sure that the beneficiaries, the people who are impacted by the projects um, are able to have that impact. And those charities are set up with that clear distinction. So being able to go in and research another way of having a positive impact on people while still acknowledging profit lines and profit margins was very important for me because I wanted to bring that grounded understanding of the best way to have an impact um so so yeah that's my research it is like you said very sort of detailed and I had to do quite a bit of coding so that I could visualize the data for policymakers but also business leaders who are looking to embark on this new way of doing business um, and understanding their different certification programs out there so B Corporation has done you know brilliant work in terms of bringing a sense of certification and regulation um, to the space, but understanding that there's still a lot more that can be done by policymakers. So my paper does highlight key recommendations and it does pull out some key case studies as well, where we can see how other businesses have looked at prioritising people, profit and planet. Wow. And congratulations. I know, uh, you know, we've just spoke on it for a few minutes, but I know the the effort and work that you've put into this is substantial and the impact that it will have is substantial also, because I believe it's the first of its kind and it's quite groundbreaking in terms of all the research that you've done and the way that you have visualised it. Because as you kind of, you know, described to me, your background is as a lawyer, but you're, you're also a coder now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we applaud you. I think it's um, absolutely amazing. And of course, we will share the link to your paper uh, with our listeners. And I encourage you all to go and have a look. Thank you. Thank you very much. It, I must say it's one of the things that I did. And at the end of it, I was just really excited with the prospect of having finished it. Because sometimes as researchers, we start on these projects well-intentioned and, you know, driven by our need to make an impact. But challenges come come about and we are stopped. So I'm just really fortunate that I had the support of Bateswells, the law firm, who provided me with access to some of the key policymakers and business leaders who are working in this space. And that I was able to interview them and gather their thoughts and insights. But also I was able to work with lawyers and academics and policymakers and engineers and just a wealth of businesses and leaders who all informed the research. And 
now seeing it out there in the world and having different people approach me to speak about this and to bring this research into their businesses is, you know, a a brilliant bonus as a researcher because my research is not just sitting on a desk somewhere. It's actually out there in the world making an impact. Yeah. As a result of your research, there will be thousands of businesses, Shira, out there all looking for that social return. They will be guided also by financial, as you said, it's a grounded approach, but they will be looking for that social and environmental return as well. So that's awesome. Thank you. I have one final question before we ask you about takeaways, Shira, and that is what inspires you? <laughs> what inspires me so as you can see I've got a very eclectic mix of interests yeah. and projects and initiatives and some have called me a polymath uh somebody who <laughs> enjoys doing various things and I get to bring the wisdom from each thing that I do to the other so I think for me it's important to understand that my footprint of impact is is one thing that inspires me. And then I look to my forefathers and, and the women who have paved a way for me. And I draw inspiration from them because they were unwavering in their commitment to impact, positive impact. And they were unwavering in their commitment to speak up and to speak truth to power and to mm. start initiatives. Because I think the key difference for me is I have started a lot of the initiatives that I'm part of because I've seen the need for them. And then I have spoken to people and enrolled them in my vision to make this happen. So being able to be inspired by the vision, what's out there, what's possible, and just looking to see how others have done it, especially those role models that I have, you know, Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama. Uh, Maya Angelou, Mm -hmm. I love listening to her poetry and her beautiful words of wisdom. And just knowing that we have to seek out things that inspire us in order for us Mm -hmm. to play a bigger game, especially, you know, going back to being a black female in boardrooms, in academia, in, you know, coding and being a, a tech techie. Those spaces are not necessarily representative of me. But that shouldn't stop me. I should actually be able to seek out those faces and individuals that continue to inspire me and continue to pave the way for me. So thank you. Oh, not at all. The pleasure is all ours this morning. Um, and we're inspired by your bravery and your go get the knowledge that I need to to make a difference attitude. Thank you so much, Shira. You're welcome, Misha. Right, we're at that point in the podcast where we're going to ask you, Shira, what are your takeaways for this session? Thank you, Nisha. I think three takeaways for me. The first one is understanding that decision making requires both the logic, but also the intuition and being able to distinguish between when you need to make a decision based on logic, but also when you need to bring in that intuition and that good judgment. And then the second takeaway for me is mental health and mental well-being, understanding that as leaders, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to our staff to promote mental health and mental well-being, but also to look after our own mental health and mental well-being, because we need to lead by example and we need to destigmatize 
mental illnesses and how that has played out in mainstream media. And the third thing is sustainability and how we look at doing businesses differently or how we look at being leaders who prioritise profit, obviously, um, if you're in the for-profit sector, but also looking at how your people objective is being actualised and also the planet, how we prioritise initiatives that can contribute positively to our planet. Because, you know, we have this beautiful planet out there and we want to be able to protect it and ensure that our children and our children's children can benefit from this beautiful planet. So those are my three key takeaways. Thank you, Shira. Sharon, what are yours? Oh, so I think for me, there's so many, but I start off with um, the example Shira gave us of her five-step kind of decision-making process. And within there, she spoke about um, evidence gathering and gathering, looking at case studies and data to support the decision alongside, you know, those lived in experiences and also following that up with the learning. So I think for me, that's that was a really important point. Also, Shira touched on mental health and always making time, you know, to, to do things that support our mental health. And finally, it's um, not letting fear stop you. Um, Shira occupies spaces where we don't see many um, black women, but it hasn't stopped her. It hasn't held back in achieving so much. And also by her being courageous and doing that, she's helping so many people. So I'm, I'm really inspired and, and take that away from Shira today. So thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Nisha, how about you? Oh, I share both of your takeaways and what stands out for me the most is the lived experiences because in our world, Sharon and I have to be all about the client, the customer um, and what they expect to see out of products that we're delivering. So that as well as the the no fear attitude, Shira, that kind of um, shines out of you um, and you're a great um, example and role model for others wanting to enter that space or whatever space they want to enter um, in whatever field but having that as a quality um, is is a pretty amazing thing and can take you very far you're a testament to that thank you so much Nisha thank you so much Sharon for having me it's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to speaking again and um, collaborating in the future so thank you both oh you're you're very welcome the honor is ours um, so Shira, if people want to reach out to you, which platforms can they find you on to connect with you or follow you? Yes, yeah, so LinkedIn is a great platform for me. Um, just typing Shira Z Mansare, uh, you should be able to find me, but also our charity website, I Am Somebody's Child Soldier. There are contact details there. Um, and then just perhaps meeting up at a social event or a networking event. I'm always trying to be out there as much as I can. But I think, you know, LinkedIn is is a great first step for anyone looking to contact me. Amazing. And we'll definitely include the links to your um, company uh, website when we send out this um, recording. And I just want to thank Shira again. Um, Shira gets many requests to speak and go on to podcasts and she can't do them all. So for her to take the time out to come onto the delivery space means such a lot to us and I think you are so inspiring to achieve everything that you've achieved 
shows people like Nisha and myself the art of the possible, that you don't let things hold you back. And I know that many of our listeners, you know, might not think it's possible for a woman of colour to do some of the things that you have done. So, yeah, really heartfelt thank you um, for coming on today. It means so much to us and we continue to be inspired by all that you do. You're very welcome, Sharon. Thank you as well. Thank you to all of our guests for watching and listening and look out for our next video. And please like, follow and subscribe. Thank you. Thank you.